Monsters Walk With Us contains explicit language, adult themes, violence, and may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome. Welcome back if you're new. I am so glad to have you and so excited to have you as my guest this week, Z. You are somebody I'm very fond of on TikTok, somebody whose videos always cheer me up. And I'm so glad that I randomly commented about the podcast and you agreed to come on. Thank you so you're much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I've never done a podcast or I've never even really listened or seen a podcast. So this is all new for me, but I'm excited and ready. I'm very excited to be your first podcast experience. Hopefully it'll be a good one. Oh, I think, I think it will be. I have a bunch of people that are excited and they said they already subscribed. Oh, awesome. That's so great. I want to shout out our patrons. Thank you so much for helping me keep the podcast running, especially right now while I'm not working. Your support has allowed me to do a bunch of software upgrades and the audio quality is definitely so much better. I just started research yesterday for The Staircase, so that will be the first patron-only series going up on Patreon. I'm going to have Fernando as my regular guest for that one. Very excited. We also now have merch available. If you go on Instagram, there is a link in the bio for merch. There is also a link in the bio to buy me a Red Bull and keep the podcast caffeinated. We're at 75 of the $100 goal on that one. And when we hit $100, I will put another bonus episode out onto the main feed. You can find us on TikTok if you are interested in checking us out. That is at monsters underscore walk. And lastly, if you have a few minutes to go into Apple, if that's where you get your podcast, click that five-star button. If you have a few extra minutes, leave us a review. That would be super duper helpful, especially because now we're starting to chart in other countries, which is completely unbelievable to me. If you are an international listener, thank you so much. I got a listener email today. I emailed them back already and it really made my day to hear from them. They suggested a case from Chile that is definitely going to come onto the podcast. Right before we started recording, I asked Z if they had watched Bo Burnham's special inside. And <laughs> the consensus was that neither of us have watched it for pretty much the same reason. <laughs> not ready. Just not ready. <laughs> I'm just not in that place right now to be able to deal with that. And I know that. And if you are in the same position, it's okay. We're going to make it through. Everyone that's listening, I love you so much. We just got to stay alive. That's all we got to do. And we can do it, y'all. We're going to do it together, me and my friends, and eventually Bo Burnham whenever we get there. I've still had to listen to all the songs on TikTok, though. I may not know the special, but I I know all the songs now. Same. And it really made me realize, like, oh, I am really in the mentally ill TikTok, (laughs) which is cool. That's where I want to be and where I belong. I love doing this podcast, but I have yet to reveal my face or, like, who I actually am outside of, like, my local My Favorite Murder Facebook groups that do, like, Link Your Pro whatever. So I, I used to listen to that podcast a lot and they got really flippant about mental health and they would start like, oh, they're obviously bipolar. So they just lost their mind or they're a psychopath. And I'm like, those are people's diagnosis who've done nothing wrong. And it's really shitty that you're just going to like immediately you hear about a crime and that's the answer. Yeah. But I stay in all the Facebook groups, which I think like most people in these Facebook groups do not listen to the fucking podcast anymore. They just like like the Facebook groups. So that's the only place that like, you know, I've identified that this is my podcast outside of my private social media. It scares me a little bit. And I don't know how I feel about doing that. 
You don't want to be perceived. You're not sure if you want to be perceived yet. It's so funny because, bitch, I love the fucking spotlight. Every time that we would do like a fun RA training and it was like dance, act in a skit, make a fool of yourself. Put me at the top of the pyramid. I am ready. Get me up there. I already have my mic. I have a megaphone back here in this room that I used to just bring places. And now I'm like, no, don't look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand I'm not worried about criticism about the way I look. I could give a fuck what people think about that at Mm -hmm. this point. Working in education so long, I had to have this separation between like who I really am and then like my working with students persona. Mm -hmm. There's some of that left where I'm like, oh, there should be a boundary between who I really am and the people who are not going to let me get big headed if this ever does blow up. And you'd think that I would be like, yes, look at me. I love this. You would think and I would think that honestly, I, I was like, oh, God, I'd love to do a live show. When I started this, I was like, that would be like the biggest thing that I could imagine if I just did like people bought a ticket to come see this live Mm -hmm. right and then in the shower yesterday I was like I don't want to do that (laughs) I don't want to do that I don't want to sit on a stage and have people like breathe the air with me I think I'm not Not there yet yet, mentally (laughs) yeah it's gonna take some time yeah but yeah that's I guess I'll I'll have to do maybe some work on that with my therapist whenever (laughs) I can afford to get back in there there's some stuff there for sure (laughs) got some things with that it's I was like, oh, there this is deeper than I just thought about wanting privacy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, just a caveat, it is super, super hot in the room that I record in. You might be able to hear my fan in the background. I'll do what I can when I edit, but it is absolutely not an option to not have a fan. It's gonna hit like 99 while we're recording, and I'm already dying. So that's where we're at. 99? Yeah. Fuck. Fucking Colorado, man. I mi- I really miss the East Coast. I'm like super homesick. And it's a dry heat. Dry. Dry. So it is the heat, not the humidity there. It's, it is not. It's <laughs> never the humidity here. There's never humidity here. Um, it could be raining and I'll feel dry. It is unbelievable. And it's like, I know I'm closer to the sun, question mark. I'm not good at science stuff. But I know I'm like, you know, I'm like way above sea level. I'm like 5,500 feet above sea level. So yeah, I guess I am technically closer to the sun, but (laughs) (laughs) a negligible amount. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you're, you're technically not wrong. You're technically correct. The content warnings for this week's case are rape, intimate partner abuse, mutilation, victim blaming, racism, and some of just the shittiest, shittiest white men. Just... (laughs) just prepare and i also want to just share a couple of resources about domestic violence in the united states there is a 1-800 number that's 1-800-799-7233 i'll also include that in the episode description as well as a link to some international resources for domestic shelters and domestic violence and the sources that i used for this week's episode are Wikipedia and the documentary Lorena on Amazon Prime. Today, we are talking about Lorena Gallo, who is most commonly known by her married name, Lorena Bobbitt. And I know you said you have some understanding of this case, some inklings. I think, I don't know. Personally, I find this to be her to be like kind of an iconic person. I would agree with that. She is a queen. I have a lot of respect for her, and I think everyone I will by the end when of when I this. came on if I should wear this shirt or if I should wear my, my I was going to make a Team Lorena shirt, but I was like, I don't know if that would be 
Oh my God, I love that. I not want to show too much of the pride. Actually, we are going to talk about some fashion design later in the episode. So in this documentary, they talk about the media reporting at the time, but then there's also current day interviews. So I'll try to do my best to distinguish between the two. A lot of the coverage feels disgusting just in how they talk about everything and the terms that they're using. We're obviously coming from a 2021 lens, and I try to come from like a trauma-informed and mental health-informed space. As educated as I am, I try to bring that. This is a lot of 90s sensationalism, which returning listeners know fucking disgusts me. In a nutshell, and this is probably what you know, tell me if I'm correct, what is commonly known about Lorena and John Bobbitt is that Lorena cut off John's penis, left their house with the penis in tow, threw it into a field, and then after John got to the hospital, they were able to find the penis and reattach it. Yeah. 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 I only laugh because I think he deserved it. (laughs) I don't know. I've watched both older interviews with him and the newer interviews with him, and he's just, like, not a believable dude. The way he acts and the way he speaks and, like, His demeanor is just so unpleasant. When I tell you that I was like yelling at the TV, I usually don't do the research when my husband is around because it's painful. I'm like watching, pausing, taking my notes, play another 15 seconds, pausing, taking my notes. And that's excruciating for other people. It's it's not fun. I understand that about it. I just had to pause it at a few points because I was just so fucking mad. And then I would like tell Mike about stuff and just kind of see his reaction. But yeah, John Bobbitt in particular, he gets under my skin. I'm sure it's going to be real obvious from the way that we're going to tear into him. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm with you. Let's do this. The documentary opens up on a clip from the Steve Harvey show. And I think this was in around 2016. Steve Harvey's intro says, Lorena did the one thing that men fear the most, which just, okay. Mike explained to me that that's accurate, (laughs) even though I had a lot of eye rolls throughout this. But as I talked with Mike about this, he was- he was agreeing with some of this stuff about this like connection to the penis. I can't understand it. And I'm okay with that. Steve Harvey asked Lorena, what made you take it with you? Like you cut it off. Why did you leave the house with it? The audience is like cracking up. Like it's, it's a comedy. Like they're doing a comedy bit. Steve Harvey is standing up, walking around, joking about the cops looking for John's severed penis. And he's like pantomiming, looking around for it. Like hand over the eyes, all of the classic like miming searching he's doing. And Lorena is like going along with it. Like she's laughing and they're chatting. And they're even joking about when they picked up the penis, how it like had grass on it. (laughs) That answers one of my (laughs) earlier questions. (laughs) Then the documentary jumps to June 1993 in Manassas, Virginia. Around 5 a.m., there's a call from the hospital and a police officer hears this call on the band, Officer John Tillman. The hospital is requesting that officers respond there immediately because some guy walked in who had been assaulted by his wife. That's all they have. We don't know what's going on. He's in a lot of pain and he can't give us his name, but we know that this is what happened. And this caller is pretty fucking nonchalant and laid back about the situation. I gotta say, it's real chill, low key vibes at the hospital. Officer Tillman gets to the hospital. Other cops start to respond to the hospital and they are all shook, shaken, and stirred because 
As one cop says to Officer John, this guy's wife pulled his dick off. (laughs) These white macho cops are disturbed to the very core. And they also know they have to be super cryptic over the radio because anybody can buy a police Mm -hmm. band. Reporters always have access to a police band. If they get on the radio and say, this guy's penis got severed, everybody's going to flip out. Everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know. And so they're saying things like, he's missing a body part. And then my note, the TikTok noise, that's a lot of damage. (laughs) And... They're saying the hospital needs it ASAP to try to reattach it. The cops spring into action and Officer John says immediately he knows like this is going to require a lot of resources. Get everybody. One officer is sent over to the apartment and over the radio they just say like you need to go look for the appendage. At this time also there's no cell phones so they cannot do anything besides just communicate over the radios. Cecil Dean, a crime scene tech who had responded to the hospital, says that when he got there, he was able to survey the damage. He pulls the sheet up and sees a pair of testicles, no penis. Gone. Nothing. He then says it was cut very clean. So no hesitation mark. She just went straight through. Uh, that was a sharp knife. It is described as surgical so many times throughout this thing. Ugh. Honestly, this is, I feel like this is something that she had thought about for a while. And then finally, you know, it's like one of those things when someone does something to you, you just think about how you could get them back for a while. And then I feel like that's why there was no hesitation marks because she was finally just like, that's it. I'm done. There is a lot of talk about that later on in the documentary specifically around abuse and the understanding of abuse at this time and how it just was yeah, not the, there. the perspective on it was quite horrible how it was reported. right dr david bourbon is a microsurgeon who lives in the area he gets a call from the hospital early in the morning around 4 a.m and they ask can you come down asap please we need you his first question is do you have it because otherwise i can't put it back on <laughs> just asking the real questions he's not waking up if he's not there he's not coming in he's not waking up if you don't have the appendage i'm not showing up (laughs) sorry another doctor jameson a urologist who was there working at the hospital says with a smile well we didn't have it (laughs) this documentary is just going to repeatedly like send me back and forth to jupiter so He says it was lost in action. It's gone. (laughs) When he got to the ER, John was bleeding profusely. He had lost a third of his overall blood volume, so he's doing pretty bad. Dr. Sane says the only option was to perform a perennial urethrostomy. This means they will expose the mid-bulbous urethra to the perineum. Dr. James says this means he would sit to pee like a woman, which is unnecessary. You could have just said sit to pee and left it at that, okay? So this is what Dr. James is sure, like, this is what's going to happen because we don't have the penis and the cock is out of the hen house. We don't know (laughs) what we're doing. Next in the documentary is John Wayne Bobbitt in the current day. He says that he doesn't remember too much of what happened, just that Lorena was, quote, playing around with me while I was sleeping. Mm. I think she was trying to get me excited or something. Mm. He says he was confused. He thought he was dreaming. And he is terrified because there's blood everywhere and my penis is gone. Wow. Wow. He laughs and says all he could think of was, 
well, now I can't go back to sleep. So I collected myself. I tried to apply pressure. My friend Robbie was staying with us. So I went and found him. I kicked him to wake him up and he didn't know what was happening because he just woke up and he went to go brush his teeth. I'm waiting for him to get ready to take me to the hospital. He goes to brush his teeth. Well, they were drunk, if I remember correctly. They were were so fucking drunk. Yeah. In footage from the 90s, John is interviewed by Jenny Jones. And he says at that time, then she put her arms around me at the same time I started falling asleep again. There was a pull, then a jerk. He also says that he told Lorena he was leaving her and he wanted a divorce. She wanted to stay together and I was upset because I wanted to end it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. John today says, well, I didn't know she would be shocked by this divorce news. I thought she'd be happy about it like I was. But us men don't understand women. So it didn't work out that way. He's just such a douche lord. That's just mm, the best way I can describe him is he's just a giant douche lord. Yeah, he is such a dick pimple. Like I have no, oh my God, I hate him so, so much. Cindy Leo, who was another crime scene tech, responds to John and Lorena's apartment. And they still can't find John's penis. The police sergeant on the scene, Jerry Hawks, tells Cindy, we think Lorena swallowed the penis and we need to find her immediately. Why is that your first? Come on. (sighs) It's also unbelievable that someone would take it with them and like leave the house with it. I guess, but still. So they're like, what do they think? Do they think she just straight up was like biting in this thing and chewing on it? Because that's like incredibly difficult to eat. Like, that's not like, that's not like a steak that you cook. Like, that's incredibly. I just. uh, uh, (laughs) Why is that your first thought? I got a lot of questions. Out there at 4 a.m., you know, you're just driving through. You drive past this lady just like chomping, just trying to chomp on a dick. Oh, my Lord. Cindy sees blood drips in the parking lot where the cars would be parked and the blood drips lead directly back up to their apartment. Officer John is searching for the penis, but he's also trying to preserve the crime scene as much as possible. He goes into the bathroom and he's waving his flashlight around when it hits on a butt imprint in blood on the mattress. He estimates the mattress was filled about an inch deep with blood. So John was there for a while after it was cut. He was drunk, drunk. Yes, drunk as a skunk, white boy wasted, all of the things. There's also blood spatter in a shape that lines up where John had swung his legs over the bed. There's just like an arc of drips. (laughs) Cops immediately know John was wasted when the penis was severed. There's so much blood. There's such a delay in getting to the hospital. Like, And Cindy Leo says she actually doesn't even think that John felt it right away. I don't think he did either. <laughs> this ties in directly with him having to kick his friend awake, too. They weren't sleeping. They were blacking out. I know from a ton of personal experience. I know exactly what level of drunk he was for that to happen. Like When you are drinking to that level of blackout regularly, the denial is so fucking real. You are not going to tell anybody anything about their mm-hmm. drinking when they're at that no. level until they're ready to make that change. Of course, even today, John cannot admit that he was drunk. He has to say, oh, I was just so tired. I was like dead tired. He says the phrase dead tired so many fucking times. No, you were drunk, sir. You <sighs> were drunk. <laughs> it's fine he was that level you were of dead drunk he yeah was that level of drunk where i don't know i've gotten that point where you're like someone should just punch me in the face i won't even feel it yes when i used to get super drunk back in the day 
B and the D, I would like, oh, I got to sober up. I'm going to slap my my face, (laughs) slap myself in the face as hard as I can to sober myself up. And I always remember people would be like, what the fuck are you doing? I was like, shut up. It's going to work. My face is numb. Shut up. Just listen to me. Now I'm like, I cannot, I cannot imagine going to a party and there's some girl slapping her in the face, <laughs> like, yelling oh, at everyone to shut up. Oh man, I was a good time most of the time. That's what I'll say about that. Fair. Officer John searches the kitchen and they look everywhere for the knife. While they're searching the house, they find some pamphlets about rape and domestic abuse. Then another call comes over the radio. The cops have found Lorena. (laughs) She's interviewed by the cops, and she says that she got to the shop, which is this nail salon that she worked at. She started crying. She's screaming. She fell down. And then she realizes, I have to talk to Jana. Jana is Lorena's boss at the hair salon, and they're really close friends. She drives to Jana's place, and Jana tries to calm her down. And Jana convinces her, we need to go to the police station, and we need to report that he has been sexually abusing you. They do go down to the police station, and the cops tell Lorena and Jana, we do want to hear about that abuse, but first and foremost, where is John's dick? (laughs) Like, we need that. Lorena gets interviewed today and she says she told them just look around like I don't know IDK bruh the cops tell her that they can't find it at the apartment and then she remembers that after she left she just started like throwing stuff out of the car window she's pretty foggy like in this section she's definitely I think in shock it doesn't seem like she fully understood what was going on they ask her, well, what were you near? Like, what do you remember? And she remembers a 7-Eleven that's pretty much around the corner from their place. The cops go out there. It's called Polk Road. And they search for the penis where it would have gone if it had been thrown out the driver's side window. So they pantomime, like, literally, like, if you picture instead of, like, tossing your cigarette down on the highway, if you're a litterer, like, <laughs> over the top of the car arc. Yeah. They go search in this tall, tall grass, and then they find the knife in a garbage can outside the nail salon. Cindy has to race the garbage truck to get to the nail salon before this trash gets collected. High stakes, high stakes. She almost has to do a handstand to get the knife out of the trash. And at the same time, the search of the field is happening. The officer that found the penis stepped on it. And then he refused to touch it. He stepped on it? He stepped on it. Honestly, I'm going to be real. If I stepped on uh, a severed penis on accident, I wouldn't know how to react. I would just react in shock because that's not something that you have ever thought about in your head as like something that could possibly happen to you, a possible scenario. So like you never train yourself to be like, what would you do if you stepped on a severed dick? I don't know. I would freeze. I agree. I don't think that there's training or any amount of preparing that you can do if you're outside of the medical field and that's like your specialty or a microsurgeon or whatever. I No, I don't think you can prepare for that. I have years of crisis emergency training and I've had to calm down situations because the cops can't get there in time and I have to like talk someone down. I don't have the training to go pick up the penis. I do not. And I've been doing crisis response since like 2008. I am not qualified. I'll just be like, I'm sorry, guys. I just can't do it. It's actually a volunteer firefighter. 
who has to be the one to pick up the penis. I'll just get some tongs maybe, you know? They do have to go back a few days later for evidence, and Cindy has to take pictures of the cop standing next to where he found the penis, just like awkwardly pointing (laughs) at the ground. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most awkward, stiff body language you can imagine. Lorena today talking about the cops finding it in this grassy area like at first she's a little taken aback she's like oh my gosh but then she just has to <laughs> laugh like she just starts laughing <laughs> Dr. James says he's not quite sure why nobody wanted to handle quote this thing uh-huh. and I have a quick answer for you right here buddy toxic masculinity ruins the party yet again they can't touch that penis or else they're gay <laughs> Yeah, you touched a dick, bro. Instantly queer. Instantly queer. Away from that. The severed penis is put inside a glove, and they bring it across the street into the Seven Eleven, where they put it on ice in a hot dog bag. I think that's one of my favorite parts, honestly. I think the universe is like, let's be ironic today. I just, I just can fucking not. Can you imagine you're in there for like your fucking taquito or whatever off the hot tray and they come running in grabbing a hot dog bag? Like, I'm done eating. I'm all set. I may never eat again. It's like some 16 year old. And they just come in with some severed penis and you're just like, well, so I've only worked here for two days. I only get paid <laughs> 7.36 an hour. Oh my God. <laughs> They're like, are you, you could use a slushy <laughs> cup. Like, is there a better? <laughs> no, I think that was perfect. It was uh, meant to be. So during all of this, John goes to the OR once they get word that they've found his penis and he starts getting prepped for surgery. They're not really sure if this operation is going to work. And Sarah Parrish, one of the nurses who was there, says, yeah, we just washed it up and got it ready to put it back on. That's like so 90s, honestly. That's just... it's, it's just, oh my God. She's like, yeah, we did a little saline bath and got, you know, took care of it. I was just like, oh, shout out nurses doing the real hard like, work. Even with the saline bath, like I wouldn't, let things like still get in like the muscle tissue and like dirt. And I don't, I, I maybe I don't understand how dirt interacts with human muscle because I've never seen that, but. I'm no expert, but I did write down everything the doctor <laughs> said. So hopefully <laughs> explain it for us they also flash a picture of the severed penis and i wasn't ready (laughs) i was not ready i like screamed i threw the xbox controller on the ground i just like could not deal with life for a few moments no warning just on the screen full screen there was like a ruler because it's like an evidence photo oh my god they had a ruler that's embarrassing Google at your own risk So in a lot of crime scene photos, they'll have set up for scale some kind of ruler measurement system so they can show like this is how large the stain was or this is whatever. So they have it staged like that. This must be kind of like an embarrassing event for him too. Apart from him having this happen to him, he must also be super embarrassed on top of it because now everyone in the world knows exactly how big your penis is. You would fucking think that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? You would think that, but that is not the story we're about to embark upon. No, it's not. It's sure fucking not. (laughs) You might be able to tell that I am mad about it. (laughs) Dr. David has never done a penis reattachment surgery. So even though he is a very experienced surgeon, this is still very risky. 
He has a game plan to connect the artery and the major veins under a microscope. And then Dr. James will come in and make sure that the urology aspects are good. Nurse Sarah says, yeah, he's going to make sure all the plumbing works. I would hope, I guess, if he was a good doctor, he would do that. Dr. David's most nervous moment was when taking the tourniquet off, because that's the moment you know whether or not the surgery has worked. If the blood starts flowing again when the tourniquet is removed. Was it like zombie looking like... Like, was it, like, dead? It just looked pale to me and flaccid. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what happened. When that's, honestly, that's my review. Yeah, that's my review. <laughs> it, it looked sad. It looked sad. It looked like it had been separated from where it belonged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> looked very sad and lonely. Okay, I just had to know so I could I could get some picture going. Okay, I'm ready. It was after the washing, so there was there no was grass, no... dirt, or blood oh, on it. Yeah. It was like right right before <laughs> surgery. Dr. James says the penis, quote, pinked up and looked really terrific right from the start. Does, does that mean does that just mean the blood went in or did that is that a literal Yes. That's how it indicates that the blood is flowing and that the operation to connect how the arteries they and get the him to do that. They had to tie like a tourniquet around I would assume his groin, and then they do the attaching of the vein and the artery. Dr. James does his urology stuff that I don't fully understand. And then when they take the tourniquet off, if those connections are good, the blood flow is gonna start, it's gonna bleh, pink up. They don't have to like touch him or anything to get that to happen, is what I'm saying. Like is that on No, 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 no. They just it they they could tell immediately they took the tourniquet okay. off. It looks, everything looks good. It's regaining color. Okay. It's not pale white. Because that must be a tough part of being a doctor if that's part of your job. If that's what you have to do. Oh my gosh. Cops are there. And Dr. James says that every cop in the place had their legs crossed. Very uncomfy. The men are horrified. And all of them say that they're second guessing their wives immediately. Oh. To which I say, that's a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Because... <laughs> My first thought, if I saw another man get his penis cut off by his wife, would be like, man, I hope my wife doesn't do that. Yeah. Right. That's the logical. That is totally the logical. Because that yep. happens so often. Yes. It's really it's common. super common. The women are all saying, well, what the fuck did he do yeah, to that's her exactly that would that. make her do something like that? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, that's obviously. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry, ladies. Just don't go around cutting people's dicks off. I'm sorry. They just don't. There's always a trigger. Something has had to happen to them. The understanding was not there. So like going through this all now, it's really frustrating that like most of the women involved in this case are like, oh, he did something immediately. Some women just believe women, I guess, and are just good people, you know? And in psych, if someone attacks your genitals, that's like a clear sign of some form of abuse or some form of trauma. Lorena is taken to the hospital for what we call now a SANE exam. This is a physical examination by a nurse certified in sexual assault. Most commonly people call this a rape kit, but that terminology bothers me intensely on a really deep level. Lorena is in the same hospital as John, and they're just on opposite sides of the hospital. Is this ethical? Is that okay? Like, I assume this kind of thing must happen, right? They just have to take both parties to the hospital and separate them. 
I mean, I don't know. I would think a responsible thing to do would be to take them to different places because she just cut his penis off. The cops are on her like flies on shit right from the start. All of these white man cops immediately take it so personal and are like so upsetty. <laughs> yeah, they're oh. they're all over her. She goes to do the exam with the nurse and that's the only time that they're not just like right okay, with her. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, all right. Lorena's exam consists of vaginal swabs, clothing collection, and photographs. They do find stains in the crotch of her clothing and they detect sperm but there's no evidence of blood lorena tells police that during her marriage to john john had raped her regularly and she says as much as she wanted to fight him and say no it seemed like when she did do that the more he wanted to do it the more aggressive it made him because john is trash fucking monster you awful cockroach and this was still around the time when people still being like, you know, if that's your wife, there was still that mentality yes. very much around and it was so, so tough. That's a huge part that comes up. Yeah. Todd Bureau, one of John's trash fucking brothers, all of John's family, <laughs> all of you bobbits, trash. trash, all of you, all of you, a pox on your house, a pox on your family. Like you're the worst. You are the worst people. <laughs> John's whole fucking family, they go on Jenny Jones being the D back in the day. and. Todd says when he found out about what happened to John, if he'd seen Lorena, he would have killed her. I'm seeing a pattern in this family. Yep. The men in the audience just fucking burst into applause. Some guys are giving a standing ovation. That's saying a lot about these dudes. Like, what did you do, dude? What did you do? What have you done? Right. Todd actually admits he went out looking for Lorena anywhere he could think of before the cops found her. John's other brother, Brett, says if the cops hadn't found Lorena and if they hadn't had her at the hospital and were watching her, the Bobbits would have found her. They're all just horrible. They're all just horrible. The worst fucking scum of the earth. Yeah. Brett says that Lorena tried to hurt John in the worst way possible for any man. And then Todd says, Lorena did worse than kill John. She took away the thing that means most to a man. Oh my God. Did she, Todd? Did she? Did she do worse than she's, kill him for y'all? Is that how that feels? Worse than death, somehow. Why is your whole fucking family so invested in John's cock? <laughs> make it make sense. He can't live without When you it. have a blood grudge. Yeah, just... <laughs> You don't think that being dead is worse than being without a penis? No, be being dead is so much better than not having a penis. <laughs> like, oh, well, if he was dead, he'd still have his penis. <laughs> Should have just killed him. So toxic. That's so toxic. That's the most important thing about a man? Really? That's what you're saying? Okay. <laughs> it really shows what that family dynamic looks like, Lovely right? Lovely time. In 1989, the first shelter for battered women in the U.S. is created. This is after the creation of the first laws against animal cruelty. That's very disturbing. So animals legally got rights before abused women. That is a reoccurring theme in our society, honestly. We're in the United States, so that tracks. Everyone can yep. agree on animals, but apparently not everyone can agree on the safety of women. That's a scandal. <laughs> Dr. C. Everett Koop testifies in Congress about what is called at the time battery, now what we call intimate partner abuse. And a lot of the focus on this is just about women. So repeatedly, queer people, you know, people of color, people in communities that are not getting represented, not getting resources, that's marginalizing people even further. Dr. Koop testifies that battery is the single most significant cause of injury to women in the U.S. and that it's a moral, economic, and public health burden. 
this is actually the first time that women in the United States are able to access any resources to talk about the impact of intimate partner abuse and overall the violence that women face, which is ongoing to this day. During this time, even worse than now, rape culture is rampant and strong. You only need to look at the movies of the time, movies from the 80s, to see how women were viewed and how women were treated. Forget if you're a woman of color or someone with a marginalized identity. If you do have a role, it's going to be super bad and problematic. Just an example, Revenge of the Nerds, a movie that I watched a lot growing up as a little girl because it was on Comedy Central like all the time. Viewed in a much different light now. In Revenge of the Nerds, the main character, the main nerd, gets in a disguise and has sex with the hot girl in the movie, his rival's girlfriend. She thinks she's having sex with her boyfriend, who's just dressed up in this Darth Vader costume. And then when the nerd takes his helmet off, she's upset for a second, but then all of a sudden that was the best sex she's ever had, and she's in love with him, and they're together through the rest of the movies in the series. That's just, uh, yeah, no, that is, uh, for everyone who doesn't know, that's illegal to do. It's very illegal to do. That is rape. rape. Yeah, that is rape by deception. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's what was normalized. That was a comedy that got a lot of mainstream play. And that's what we're talking about. People coming from this type of influence Mm -hmm. of all of this stuff in the media. Women do not feel they'll be believed. And the culture is to victim blame and shame then and now. What were you wearing? Where were you? Why did you go out at night? What did you do to invite this? That sadly has not changed. Yeah, Or women don't want to live with the stigma of being a victim, or they don't want to go through a trial and be attacked on cross-examination. In 1991, Anita F. Hill testifies before Congress about sexual harassment that she experienced from then-Judge Clarence Thomas when he was nominated and being considered for the Supreme Court, the similar to Brett Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden is there during this testimony, and Anita testifies about her experience. The media is completely split. Many people openly do not believe her, and she is belittled and harassed on a really large scale, on a national scale. All of the white men in the Senate, including Joe Biden, defend Clarence Thomas. They do not believe for a second that he could do something like this. He is above reproach to them. Just like Kavanaugh, Clarence Thomas was confirmed to the Supreme Court. And this is a huge blow for women who had really been hoping for a change in the tides of workplace harassment. Anita Hill was crucified in the press after Thomas is confirmed. And it's very obvious that this he said, she said mentality is coming into play, but only the he's are going to be believed their word is valued more. Always, always, always. And many women believe Thomas is innocent. Just like we see today, there are a lot of women who are willing to blame the victim or just deny reality. Many people, not even just women. Yeah. But it's, it's mo- I think it's the most sad to see women go against women. That's just like, come on, you guys are supposed to be a team, you know? I agree with that. It is really distasteful to me to see women trying to tear down other women. Right now, we have a connection to another episode. In the episode about the murder of Martha Moxley, which involved my alma mater, Curry College, <laughs> the Skakel family had Kennedy connections that we talked about in that case, including the rape trial of William Kennedy Smith, who had been arrested in West Palm Beach. He was found not guilty. Women are being let down by the criminal justice system left and right, and that is the small percentage of women who are willing to report rape. The numbers are so much higher than 
anyone even knows. I actually have a note here. I think this is a good moment to stop and acknowledge in all of this discussion of rape and intimate partner abuse, there is zero queer representation whatsoever. So the statistics being reported, they're, they can't be close to the real numbers of what was actually happening. The 90s uh, sucked in a lot of ways for anyone who did not live through that. Yes. At the time, I was like, this is okay. This is all right. And now that we are all the way up here, I'm like, you know what? That was really not all right. How did they get through that? <laughs> Watching movies from the early 2000s has also been like, oh, well, my God. Wow, that was really the mainstream that like just open racism was like the plot point of movies or like the funny part of a movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was like, oh, we just let that happen? Okay, that's one of yeah. the biggest movies of the year? All right. Even today... Intimate partner abuse is really viewed in a binary. A lot of people don't believe that women or female identifying people, non-binary people could be abusers. They just, that can't exist in those spaces for some people. It just doesn't make sense and that would never happen. In 1992, news starts coming out about sexual harassment in the Navy in the aviator division. There are reports of 83 women sexually assaulted at the tailhook convention at the Las Vegas Hilton. Most of these reports were dismissed by the Navy for lack of evidence. A lot of the themes that you see in this case still today, still coming up today. Yep. It's still an issue today. Women in the Navy are speaking up, and they want no woman to be afraid to come forward to report harassment and assault. But women are also kind of used to nothing happening. Just, this is the status quo, and we just kind of have to live through this. Like today, most women aren't really surprised by these big bombshells. We know from the Me Too movement that almost every woman that you know has experienced some type of harassment or abuse. And if you think you don't, Hello, friend. I'm a survivor of sexual and intimate partner abuse, so now you do. The day after this incident between Lorena and John, a journalist for the Washington Post, Carlos Sanchez, is doing his usual morning routine. He's calling around to all, all the police agencies and law enforcement people that he can that are nearby and asking for news. This is his everyday thing when he goes to work. Obviously, this is a huge, <laughs> huge story. Carlos rushes to the courthouse as quickly as he can to get the scoop. He walks into the courthouse and he says, quote, there were two Hispanics, me and Lorena Bobbitt. Okay, well, we're off to a great start. Lorena tells Carlos, he raped me, he raped me. Like, she's just really frenetic. Mm -hmm. Lorena says that she went to go get some food in a diner, and this woman there was reading the paper. And the woman reads an article about the case and says, wow, this is so great. Someone finally did what I always wanted to do. It would be a lie if almost every woman I ever met didn't think that at least once, because dudes are terrible. And, you know, if you get harassed enough, eventually you're going to be like, you know what? I think a lot of people who have been abused, especially sexually, can identify with that feeling, for sure. Because, you know, then they can't... They they can't go around and all of a sudden they're not going to have their confidence anymore and they can't hurt anyone anymore. You know, you. The articles are all these gross headlines and puns. Wife takes slice of revenge, a slice of life, marital mutilation, cut him out of her life, a surefire way to get a man's attention, all of that kind of thing. The 90s was such a crazy time. The, they, they were what, fucking wild. Like they could just kind of basically say whatever they wanted back then. 
The popular comics of the time, Andrew Dice Clay, Whoopi Goldberg, they have stand-up bits about this. And Whoopi says that she would not have told them where the penis was. (laughs) And to that I say, me too. I wish she never fucking told them where it was. But maybe, I think that maybe the only reason she didn't get like extra charges or anything is because she did tell them where it was she cooperated she with them cooperated with them but honestly i'm on there's yeah no i wouldn't like if someone did that to me no that's it you're done that's it gone forever i would have chopped it up probably a little bit more and just to make sure <laughs> just tossed it in the garbage disposal they, real they quick it back on because she cut it off so cleanly right because she did such a good job cutting it off gold stars John Bobbitt today says, yeah, I could get a good comedy script going. And then he tells a couple of jokes. Quote, Jeffrey Dahmer called Lorena up and said, hey, you going to eat that? Oh, my God. What? Bitch, I can't deal. I cannot. I hate those kind of jokes so much, but it's his penis and his jokes. So, like, who am I to judge? Except me. So, John, you're still fucking human trash. I think it's okay to judge him. Oh, yes. Only dogs will judge me, but I will judge everyone. He also says, quote, good thing they found it. It'd look real funny on a milk carton. John, John. Journalists are looking for anyone who is remotely connected to this case to go on the air. Greg Murphy, John's defense attorney, says that he had never experienced so many different people wanting to be interviewed and just willing to get in front of the camera. (laughs) Everybody wants a slice of this, pun intended. (laughs) The surgeons, Dr. David and Dr. James, they become big celebrities. They get to go on the news. Dr. David goes on Geraldo Rivera. They get this big media blitz. And the journalists are asking Dr. David, do you think John will ever have an active sex life again? It's just so intrusive. Like, I can't imagine someone interviewing my doctor on TV and being like, yeah, about that IUD. How'd that install go? Like what? Always go for that. I don't know if you've watched, did you watch TLC when they had two headed girls on the one body and they always were asking them super invasive questions and they were like 15 years old. They were, they were being like, oh, well, what are you going to do if each one of you likes someone and you have a husband? Like, what are you going to do for sex? And I'm like, they are 15. And also we shouldn't be asking people in general about things like this unless they bring this up themselves. Like those little girls are children you leave them alone (laughs) yeah the fuck really speaks to our culture that we go to sexualizing things everything especially related to like disability or people's genitals those are like immediately there's this fixation on it people think their curiosity justifies them being invasive with personal questions yes and I've i've had to tell so many people like you can be curious all you want i'm curious about a bunch of things but i also know that's none of my business unless someone wants to tell me themselves like there's google and that's on boundaries there's other ways that are respectful that you can research things on your own like you do not need to make someone uncomfortable and put them on the spot like that educate yourself and don't worry about what is in anyone's underwear besides your own and maybe the people that you're being intimate with to make sure that everything's on the up and up there too. <laughs> yeah, that's always, it. It's always, that's it. That's it. It will take two years to know if John will regain full function of his penis. So they just don't know the answer to these questions about John's sex life in the future. Lorena says that the case got picked up on international news and she knew she was going to need help. So she asked Jana, her best friend slash boss. Lorena says Jana was doing really well financially. She has this great home. She lives in a wonderful neighborhood. She has a great life. Everything Lorena wanted. Jana actually owned three nail salons at the time, and Lorena was working at one of them, like I mentioned before. Jana hires an attorney, James Lowe, 
and a Hollywood agent, Alan Haig, for Lorena. Jenna's a real one, okay? Let's just let's just be straight up. Jenna's a real one. Jenna knew what was up. Jenna held it down, okay? That's a that's a friend right there. Jenna is the shit until she fucks it right up. For now we love Jenna. For now we love Jenna. For now we Jenna's can. good. Jenna's gonna be good for a while. <laughs> Alan Haig, the agent, is just told Lorena's going to need a lot of protection in terms of the media. He agrees to work with her and he prints a thousand business cards for her. He tells her whenever someone wants to interview you, even if they just want like a one line comment, you just say, I don't have anything to say. Contact my media representative. And then you hand them this card. Excellent fucking advice. Do not talk Mm -hmm. to journalists. If you are involved in something like this, just don't. Just don't. Let a professional person who has the training deal with that. You are not equipped to deal with that. And luckily, Jana and Lorena recognize that. Vonda Vandeveer, what a name, <laughs> is the police and court reporter for the Manassas Journal Messenger. They are not allowed to write the word penis in the newspaper. Why? It's a family paper. A lot of the papers have to get creative how they're going to report on this. So do these families not have members that have penises? It just goes to show how (laughs) ill-prepared Americans are to actually talk about sex education. (laughs) To this extreme that, like, you can't even say the word penis. Yeah, we just, because there's all their cultures where they literally will teach um, body anatomy to kindergartners, preschoolers, and all the proper terminology so that they're not embarrassed about it or anything uh and then they, then we have america so. but then here we are and then we and then we have america that's just like you can't say yeah. that they're children they're children they have body parts you too. can't say the word penis if you don't give them the accurate parts they're gonna be like ah oh, it's t- my my tittle tinkle linker and you're like i don't know what part of i don't know what that is do you want a cookie i don't understand i don't know what's a yeah, no, please, please <laughs> real words. Greg, John's defense lawyer, says his dad was an OBGYN and he didn't even use anatomical terms to refer to his work, which blows my fucking mind. Men are so weak. Men are so, so weak. I'm sorry. They've been- you know, like we're talking about, it's part of this culture that exists then and now to some extent. But he was a fucking doctor. job. You're going to tell me I'm going in for my pap smear? And he says, okay, be calm. I got to scrape the inside of your coolie. What the fuck? Like, what the fuck are you doing? I would be very concerned. I'd be like, am I being pranked right now? Like, should I trust you? I have said this before on here. I don't want to be a parent, but if you are, or if you're thinking about it, I strongly believe children should know the anatomical terms for their genitals. It is proven to be effective in discussing child sexual abuse and in teaching them about body consent. And I would like to say, never trust a man who can't say the word vagina. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Two very important lessons. Greg said that he ended up having to say penis a lot because he can't say Lorena cut off his dangling in court. (laughs) <laughs> i mean he could but <laughs> i said "Ooh, my ding ding dong, <laughs> my ding, ding, dong. <laughs> this case is what pushes the word penis into the mainstream media i'm sorry i had to i had yeah. to. <laughs> no <laughs> hello i'm 12 <laughs> we had to do it New York Times actually runs a huge article where they show a large scientific chart of how the surgery actually worked. Oh my God. Of reattaching the penis. Hmm. No wonder my parents wouldn't let me watch all the things about this. That makes sense. It makes sense. 
Dr. James says that the P word, as he put it, came out of the closet in American culture and the V word had already done so. Again, a full on fucking doctor unwilling to say the words penis and vagina. What are you saying in the operating room? What are you saying when you're in surgery? Most newspapers at the time had this unofficial policy that if you were victim of a sex crime, you would not be identified in the paper. So they would run Virginia man says, Virginia woman tells, that kind of thing would be the headline. Mm -hmm. Carlos finds out Lorena has hired this PR firm and is working with Alan. And his boss says, okay, this means she knows we're going to use her name. She must want us to use her name. She hired this PR firm. She obviously wants us to use her name. What Come logic? On. What? what logic? Journalist logic. Mm. That is journalist logic right there. Let's just jump to conclusions. That's great. Lorena says this was an absolute nightmare. Everyone wants a piece of her, and she's being hounded by the press. They're truly hunting her. She can't leave the house because they are chasing her everywhere. The first print interview she gives is to Vanity Fair in November of 1993. And Alan says that this is because Vanity Fair told them they don't want to try to spin the story or manipulate it at all. They just want to report it as it is. And Alan sees that this is an opportunity to get Lorena's side out into the mainstream media before her trial. Very savvy. This is why you hire people. It's always clever. If you can change public perception, you can alter what happens with the case. Kim Masters is a journalist working at Vanity Fair at the time. She's sort of newly hired, and they tell her that she's being assigned the Lorena interview. At this point, nobody has seen Lorena. Nobody knows what she looks like, just her name. James Lowe invites Kim out to his house, where Lorena and Jana are going to be, and they can do the photo shoot for the article there. Mary Ellen Mark is the photographer. She is a very established photographer with Vanity Fair. The editor basically comes out and says to Kim, that because Lorena and John are both conventionally attractive, the story is taking off. There's this whole back and forth about what Lorena should wear during the photo shoot because she'd shown up wearing this Mickey Mouse sleeveless blouse. So fucking 90s. Right away, Jana tells them Lorena will not be getting in the pool and Lorena will not be getting into her bathing suit. Good, good. Stay strong. <laughs> Five minutes later, Mary Ellen, the photographer, has convinced Lorena, and Lorena jumps in the pool. All right. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> a roller coaster. I'm like, you're still journalists at the end of the day. Like, both of you are still out to get what you want to get. Kim has to nudge Lorena and say, hey, we, we still have to do the interview. Like, I know you're having fun with this photo shoot, but, like, I have to ask you the questions now. And Lorena says, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to do the interview. Kim says Lorena didn't come across as articulate, which is coded language to say that Lorena did not speak English fluently. Lorena had immigrated to the States from Ecuador. So not being articulate just means that her English was not completely fluent and y'all didn't make any effort to bridge the gap with an interpreter or anything like that. You just said, ah, this'll do. And Kim also says that Lorena wasn't really in a place to present her case to the public at the time of the interview with Vanity Fair. Lorena is arraigned two months after John is brought to the hospital, and she is very emotional in court. She was charged with malicious wounding. During this preliminary hearing, one of Lorena's statements to the police is read in court. And this is one of the statements at the hospital when she was like kind of out of it. Mm -hmm. The statement says, quote, I was angry already. I turned around and saw the knife. I asked him if he was satisfied with what he did, and he was half asleep or something. He always have orgasm, and he doesn't wait for me to have orgasm. He's selfish. I don't think it's fair. Yeah. So I yeah. pulled back the sheets, then I did it. Okay. 
Okay. This inflames everything. Now there's this spin that Lorena was just mad that she doesn't get to have an orgasm. And that's why she cut John's penis oh, off. come on. Come on. There are millions what? of women who have to deal with that. And you know what? Their husband's penises are still intact. There are so many other logical steps to I can't bust a nut and I'm going to find a way to make that happen with or without you that don't involve snipping the penis off it's true it's so true i just don't (laughs) there are so many options for you to help if that is an issue in your sex life there are toys there are other types of stimulation there's There's so many things that you can do go see a counselor talk it out with you it makes me so mad that they immediately are like oh that's why like yeah you might get a lady who might not want to cook you dinner or will purposely burn you a steak a little bit if you keep doing that to her over and over again for years but like come on just for the record, before I got married, I faked many, many an orgasm, and never once did I have the urge to cut someone's penis off afterwards. Never once! Every lady I have ever met, every woman I have ever met and talked to about this, everyone has faked something at some point or multiple times. And yeah, you know what? No homicidal rage, no trying to cut off anyone's body parts, because that's just not the, that's not the path of logic that they follow. This is perfect, though, for the men to latch on to. James Lowe, Lorena's lawyer, says that Lorena having English as a second language was a real barrier. And that's why she didn't really represent what she was trying to say, especially because she was so hysterically upset. Yeah, it's already hard enough. She's already trying to think about what she wants to say. Then she has to translate it and then she has to say it. And then on top of that, now she's upset and anxious. Like, Right. You are not going to be able to communicate clearly. Lorena today says at this time she was in shock. She didn't understand what happened, but she knew for sure that she was in trouble. And then John is also charged with marital sexual abuse. Good, good. John today says he could barely walk because he was still recovering. And quote, I got hit with a charge of rape that I didn't do. Okay, John. Sure. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> All right, John. It makes me so fucking mad that you could even say this as if you don't understand why you were charged. And John says that he never did any marital rape or any abuse. If you if you ever see the interview with him, he's so not believable the way that he speaks. He literally just speaks like a dude that doesn't know how to lie. Like, newsflash, asshole. There was enough evidence for them to fucking charge you. In the 90s, and, you, and that happened, so... You're wrong. John, you're wrong. You are the most wrong. Paul Eber is the district attorney during these trials. And in his interview, he says that initially they didn't even charge John, but then a bunch of women's groups got upset that John had not been charged. Paul Ebert had been the DA for the Commonwealth of Virginia for a long time. And he says that before the DC sniper case came along, he was known as the penis prosecutor. The penis prosecutor woof they're setting up to take still images and staging the shots of the interview and paul tells them hey you can take a picture of whatever you want in this office take a picture of everything in here just not my penis (laughs) paul sir (laughs) paul you are 70 if you are a day please stop greg john's lawyer says he wasn't interested at first because he had already heard that john was being accused of rape and battery of lorena so he already knew this is not looking good for john he meets with john and then changes his mind 
He says that when he met with John, John had nail scrape scratches on his face from two weeks before the incident. Everybody in this documentary likes to call it the incident. Yeah. I, mean, I understand because it's like more concise. Yeah. It reminds me of my time responding to crisis in higher ed because that's what we would say. It was an incident. John was mostly unemployed throughout their marriage. So he was heavily financially dependent on Lorena. She's working really hard at the nail salon trying to build a good life. And he's just kind of at home moping around. I've been on unemployment for just over a year and I am used to being the main breadwinner in my home. And that has been a real mind fuck for me. So to think this asshole is comfortable just like sitting around the house and just kind of lounging around on Lorena's dime makes me really mad. It's definitely his vibe. He's definitely one of those dudes that will wait until you get home after he's done nothing all day. And then he's going to ask why he didn't clean the house after you got home from work. Where's my dinner? I thought you were cooking. Yeah. Greg has John psychologically tested and allegedly allegedly, the biggest emphasis on that allegedly, John is not capable of really telling a lie because he can't do the complexity that's mentally required to sell a lie. I mean, obviously, because I don't fucking believe him when he speaks. Please fuck off, please. (laughs) If anyone can verify that there's a psychological test to prove that John Bobbitt cannot tell a lie, I'll eat my fucking winter coat. (laughs) Greg says that he also learns the police have been called three or four times during the marriage and that Lorena had been arrested. I would like to advise that everybody take this with a table-sized chunk of salt because you know that these white male cops are prioritizing John and probably just took his word that Lorena was the aggressor. Mm -hmm. She is a brown woman interacting with her white husband and the white cops in Virginia. There is bias existing in the space. Three of the times John had called the cops and the fourth time Lorena had called when her mother was visiting them for Thanksgiving. When the cops got to the house, Lorena's mom told them everything is Lorena's fault. None of it is John's. None of this. Well, that's very typical, isn't it? How fucking invalidating is that? It makes me so sad. When someone is denying your experience or blaming you for the abuse that they are doing to you or making you question the nature of your reality and are you actually sane? Can you remember things correctly? That is the worst fucking headspace. It is awful to not know am i am i the problem am i the villain like am i at fault is it me no and everyone around you is insisting yeah this is just you everybody else is fine this is a you problem only having been there it makes me so deeply sad like she must have felt so fucking alone and if you out there listening if you're in that kind of situation i just want you to know i love you and there will be a flip side someday when you are out of that situation and able to heal greg the lawyer's take is that john John is the one who was abused in this marriage. John is the one who's been battered and beaten. I mean, yeah, John, the really uh, douchebag Marine dude. Yep. Mm -hmm. I feel like Greg deserves some awards for just like being one of the worst people ever. I don't know how you can apologize any of this shit, truly. Give him a special medal or something. Couldn't be me. The media finds out about Lorena's SANE exam. And that indicates that sex occurred sometime before she cut John's penis off. John Wayne Bobbitt denies having sex with Lorena that day. And surprising nobody, John has made several conflicting statements around whether or not they actually had sex that day. He says they didn't. Then he says they did, but I was asleep. Lorena wanted to, but I couldn't wake up. Also, oh, we did do it, but it was totally consensual on both sides. So that's all shit that John has said throughout the years about this. John, John. Goes to your point of just like no fucking credibility whatsoever. 
That alone, yeah, like, come on, that alone should take away any and all sympathy he ever got from any police officer ever. Like, come on. Spousal rape carries a life sentence. And in Virginia, it requires two things under the law as it's written. One, you had to be separated from your spouse at the time of the rape. And two, there had to be significant permanent bodily damage to the victim. Okay, okay. This is such utter bullshit. Okay. The concept of marital rape, it's almost impossible to prove under this law, as it's written. Many people firmly believe that a man's wife is his possession, and it is the wife's duty to have sex whenever the husband wants to, regardless of how you feel about that. I feel we should drag men who think like that through the streets and behind a car. That's what I think. Fucking draw and quarter them. Let's do it. (laughs) I think we should bring back public caning for things like that. For the record, my dear friends... You never need to have sex or engage in sexual acts if you don't want to and you're not excited to. If someone is convincing you that you owe them or you know they'll be disappointed if you say no or there possibly could be some negative consequences if you say no or like me, if over time someone convinced you to do something that you did not want to do but eventually caved and agreed to do anyway, that is sexual assault, that is grooming, and that is not okay. Not okay. So please check out the resources. It is absolutely not okay. I was in a relationship like that for a long time. It is not fun. Eventually, it just gets very tiring. Every day, you're just like, all right, well, at what point today are we going to have a fight? All 50 states have different laws, and many states don't have any laws against marital rape whatsoever. And some states actually legally feel that if a couple is married, Any sex they have is consensual. Period. End of story. That's just so archaic. It's so fucking twisted. I hate it. Because John has not been charged with marital rape, he is facing just 20 years in prison instead of life in prison. 2020 wants to do a story on the case that will air the Friday night before John's trial starts. Greg begs them not to, and he says, I'll give you first access to John if you just wait until after the trial to do this story. 2020 says, fuck no, and they air it anyway. (laughs) Lorena is interviewed. And she gets to share her side of things. She talks about John repeatedly raping her and how she knew it wasn't right. She says that she was afraid for her life. And lawyer Greg says John will talk during his testimony at trial only. Greg is interviewed and says that he did ask John if he beat Lorena. And John said, absolutely not. Greg also says the portrait of John that's being painted is so bad that he really hopes the jury will still be interested in hearing John's side of the story after not hearing it on the news. Sorry, they got a good picture of him. John in today's interviews starts talking about his childhood and a Jenny Jones clip of is played of him talking about how his dad used to spank him and try to get him to cry and he would not cry as an example of what a high pain tolerance he has his brothers are there (laughs) so they're like yeah we remember yeah you're so tough i don't know why everyone in the bobbit family has to make john wayne bobbit feel like he's the best fucking thing since sliced bread (laughs) he took that spanking real good by the way that is not healthy no that is abuse and you are not in a good headspace you really should seek some help yeah so they also openly admitted that they like hit their children that he was beat as a kid right yeah so we're great family great family very healthy dynamic yeah oh the best john says that he was an athlete in high school he did running and cycling and swimming he was in great shape 
and he decides to join the Marines. He says out of his battalion, he was always the first one to finish, and being a Marine pushed him to be even stronger. He wants to be the best of the best, and that was always his attitude. Striving and failing, my dude. You're actually the worst of the worst. Yeah, no, we were failing at life, sir. I also, like, this is all by John, so I don't know if he actually finished his battalion first. From the pictures, it does look like John was in really, really good shape. He obviously was working out a lot. And I guess objectively, people could think John's attractive. That option is gone for me entirely. A neighbor of John and Lorena's, Jonathan Capoa, is interviewed in his car meaning whoever he lives with said not in my house (laughs) you're not bringing those news cameras in here nope (laughs) he says that john wayne had access to the marine corps base nearby which had the best basketball courts and so even though john capoa and another neighbor john whitaker are younger than john wayne bobbitt john's not at all confusing (laughs) nope (laughs) They would still hang out. They would go play basketball. They would go fishing. Hashtag just manly things. Do you think they had nicknames for each other? Like Joe? Joe Oh, I don't know. There has to be some way, right? There has to be some distinguishing thing. There has to be some (laughs) way. Yeah, like what are you going to (laughs) do? We're going to give you different color-coded bracelets so we can keep track of you. So they think John is really cool. He's in great shape. He's older. He has Lorena, this beautiful wife, this great life. And he starts showing them how to work out, how to lift weights, how to use the machines in the gym. They talk about him running like at top speed on the treadmill and how they were so impressed that he could run so fast. He would just always like try to crank things to 11 and really felt like he had to prove himself physically. Greg says that John always considered himself a Jean-Claude Van Damme type. Greg says, oh, he has these naturally good looks and this strong, strong body. And then they show a record of him signing into the pool as Jean-Claude Van Damme. That's not a red flag at all. (laughs) You are so fucking cringe, John Wayne Bobbitt. I just need you to know. John says, the biggest misconception about me is that I'm a violent person. Quote, Just because you're in a field where you use violence or you do contact sports or whatever doesn't mean you're violent in a relationship with a woman. I mean, statistically, statistically, yes, it does. (laughs) Get out of my brain. I was like, I think the numbers would disagree with you on that one, John. Let's let's not. Sir, the numbers are quite horrible for military (laughs) people who return home from war, like who have been in the military and things like that. Any, anything. Forget cops, like first responder. Yeah. It's like over 60% because that's just what's reported. The facts do not support you. Tell me again how John cannot tell a lie. I beg you. <laughs> John is just bad at telling lies. John can tell a lie. <sighs> He's just not good at it. John's just bad at life. Lorena is very petite. She has large, dark eyes, and at the time that she and John were together, she has this beautiful, dark, long hair. They actually met at a Marine Corps ball, and John said that she had a really cute smile and a really cute accent, and she could barely speak English. Mm. So, of course, they exchange numbers and start dating. That's Well, yep, that's the 90s for you. I was talking to someone about dating, and I was like, what did you guys do before, like, the internet? And she was like, well, we took whoever was there, the best of whoever you was met around. People. You didn't even have to know them very well or anything or, like, have a lot in common. Yep, you figure that out in the relationship. Yeah, looking back, this is a little predatory that you are going to meet this like new immigrant who doesn't fluently speak English and be like, oh, I'm a Marine. Hello. It reminds me of the 30 Day Fiance when they will be like the only way they talk to them is through a translator and then they get there and then they can't talk to each other and they're like, but we're still going to get married. And it's just like, you can't even you can't even ask her what she wants for breakfast. What do you mean you're going to get married? John says that his parents told him not to marry Lorena. 
to let her go home to Ecuador. And if she came back to the U.S., then maybe it was meant to be. John ignores them and he and Lorena get married. John says settling down and getting married too young wasn't a good thing for him. And it probably wasn't good for her either. Again, (laughs) newsflash, asshole. It wasn't good for her because she got married to you. Yeah. To you. I mean, there's one thing to get married Uh, young, but it's like if you get married young and you get married to an abusive person, you know, that's a whole other level you add to it. I got married young. Okay. I got married young to the biggest piece of shit to walk the earth. It's a little different. Yes, exactly. Oh my God. Lorena's lawyers get an opportunity to push her trial back. So that means that John is going to be tried first and then they can base their defense on what they see as a need for Lorena to be acquitted. So they get to observe John's trial and go from there. The media attention is very intense and it's an international sensation. Every major organization is in town making news packages or filming shows, doing specials like 2020. Manassas, Virginia is basically a suburb of Washington, D.C. They don't get news like this. It's just generally pretty quiet. Jana is asked in the 90s if Lorena still loves John. And Jana says, I don't know, you would have to ask her that. Locals start printing t-shirts and selling them to tourists. One of the shirts shown says Manassas, Virginia, a cut above the rest with a knife and blood dripping off in the middle. I want that. I'm going to be honest. I want it. There were also boxers that said Manassas, Virginia, don't cut me short. (sighs) Okay, well, bitch, I can't. I know they're in poor taste, but also vintage items, and I do like vintage collectible items. These I find more acceptable than some of the ones we'll talk about later. Okay. (laughs) The 7 Eleven owner goes on the news and he says, Hey, it was my ice that saved his dick, and John never even thanked me. (laughs) Oh my God. It's so much clout chasing around this case. It really makes my head spin. At this time, Manassas is mainly known as the site of many Civil War battles and large reenactments of the Civil War, like the Battle of Bull Run. One newspaper starts reporting the case as the Battle of the Bobbits. Again, these fucking punny headlines, like they just could not resist. The 24-hour news cycle and an explosion in cable TV news channels create the perfect storm of focus on this case. And it's, again, tabloid journalism. Court TV has started, and so watching trials and following true crime gets a little bit more of a mainstream following, much less so than today. But there is kind of a boom. Is that around when um, Grace, um, what's her face? She's... Um, she's got the big blonde hair. Uh, she reports on all the court shows. Oh, Nancy Grace. Nancy Grace. This is a little bit before Nancy Grace, but this is what opened the door for her. So this is like the the pavement stones that will lead to that. Gotcha. Yep. The big cases, like the stuff that was going on was like, the Menendez brothers and OJ Simpson comes up a little bit later during this time frame. So it's the celebrity attention on cases is starting. Mm-hmm. Lorena says that the media attention was a circus that became completely out of control. Just so much pressure, so many people chasing her all of the time. And one of John's friends tells the Washington Times anonymously that John is really enjoying the attention. And he will bring up to his friends all the different shows. Like, oh, they mentioned me on Geraldo Rivera. Oh, they did a piece on me on this show yesterday. John is just a piece of shit. We cannot emphasize this enough. Yeah, no, there's not. 
<laughs> you can only understate it. There's no other way to do it. One of the jurors from John's trial, Kenneth Hulse, says he never made the connection from the day he was supposed to show up for jury duty that that was the day John's trial started. And another juror, Becky Rinker, says that she had been joking with a friend about getting picked for that jury. And then boom, she gets the letter in the mail. I don't understand because I know when they pick juries, you're supposed to get unbiased ones that don't know the people or the case. But was that impossible for this one? So they just had to like just pick people and just hope for the best yeah pretty much it just got way too much news attention that wherever they moved it in virginia it was too big yeah okay that's what i thought that's what i thought greg said that he did not want john's trial broadcast on tv so they are only using courtroom sketch artists this was a pretty common thing to this day still. Before there were any cameras in courtrooms, there was just these sketches that would get published on the news or in newspapers. William J. Hennessy Jr. is a courtroom sketch artist who worked at both John and Lorena's trials. And he says courtroom sketching, it's not just drawing a picture, you're telling a story. You have to convey the emotion that's happening during the testimony or during the statements. Greg starts describing some of William's sketches, including one of his direct examinations of John as John testified, and he actually has it framed and hanging up as like one of his favorite memories, I guess. Ah, yes, because that's normal. That's completely normal. Everyone in this case is totally, totally normal. John testifies that he worked until 2.30 p.m. that day. I think he was maybe working at a bar nearby. It wasn't 100% clear. He says that his boss approached him and said, hey, it's really slow. Why don't you go home? We don't need you to work tonight. In today's interview, John says that he went out with his friend Robbie. They went to a few clubs. They drank. They had a couple beers and a couple B-52 shots, which he says... Quote, people think that's a strong drink, but it's not. No, it's like a candy drink. No, it's Bailey's Kahlua and Grand Marinet. It's not a lot of alcohol. When a man tells you he's only had a couple beers or something, that's mean he's had at least four, okay? Because a couple, he would say, if he only had two, he would say, I had two. When he says, I've had a couple, he's trying to disguise exactly how many he has, which means he's had at least four. Because if he had three, he would say, I had a few. I said, excuse me, John, who do you think you are? Me in 2011 at primetime in Highland Mills, New York, taking six buttery nipple shots in a row? Oh, it's not that strong. Strong. Yeah, look, come on. I'm a. I used to be a big drinker, and I knew exactly the language you used to like disguise how much you've had to drink. Please, John. Yes, I'm walking around double fisting Long Island iced teas, saying, "Oh, they're so watered down," you know, and they're both doubles. Get the fuck out of here, John. Six beers is just basically like three beers to me. Like, no, six beers is six beers. Correct. Come on, John insists. We only had those two B-52 shots and those two beers all night long. That's it. Come the fuck on, John. You went to multiple clubs throughout the night and you had one beer there, one beer there, and then a a couple shots. My fucking ass. How were you so wasted you couldn't realize your dick got cut off? (laughs) Yeah, come on. Really? Those B-52s, they must have had some extra alcohol in them or something, John. Maybe we miscounted. Maybe we lied about how much we had. John actually testifies on the stand that he didn't feel like he was under the influence at all. He was just really tired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He sounds a lot like me before I went to go get some help. Right? It sounded real similar before I changed my patterns. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not, it wasn't, I'm not that drunk. I'm just a little tired, a little tipsy, but I, it's not, I'm not drunk. No, no, you're drunk. John today says, quote, I don't know if anyone understands being exhausted, just dead tired for like an earthquake wouldn't wake you up, you know? Yes, I do know, John. It's called a fucking blackout. <laughs> yeah. This reminds me of, I had to meet with a student once for conduct who had 
been taken to the hospital for alcohol poisoning. And they were trying to wake him up every way that they could, like the smelling salts, they're doing whatever, like auditory stimulation, whatever they can do. Nothing's working. They cannot wake him up. And they had to use what the EMT said in the report is painful stimuli. So they literally had to like push hard on his chest and like jerk his skin on his chest in two different directions. And he still didn't wake up, which is enough to like shock people, like wake people up. He still was blacked out and unconscious. And this motherfucker tried to tell me the same thing. I was just really, really tired. I just didn't sleep a lot the night before. No, if you can, if you can, if you can withstand a sternum noogie, which I don't know if anyone knows what that is, that literally just like, that's like one of the most painful things you can do to someone, like to try to like stimulate them awake. Even if you just do that lightly with your knuckles on your chest, it hurts. So if someone's really doing it, right. you are, you're out, out. You're like chemically out. You have the nerve to tell me like I never had a damn blackout in my life. You really think you're going to sell me this? They did not. They did not sell it to me. I did not buy what they were trying to sell, just for the record. (laughs) In John's interview today, he says, yeah, I even folded up my clothes. Drunk person don't fold up their clothes and my clothes were neatly folded in the room. Were they though? Were they? John, what? It's at this moment in me taking these notes, like two episodes in, that I realize in this interview where John is sitting on his dingy white leather recliner with his 7-Eleven Big Gulp cup in the cup holder, John is wasted. (laughs) I swear I couldn't spot it. Like I just, it wasn't connecting to me that he was drunk. And it's probably the editing because they have all of this consecutive footage of hours of them interviewing him and they have to cut it together to make sense with the outline that they're following. But I just, yeah, once I saw it, it all clicked together. Of course he can't admit that he abused his wife or that he's a rapist or that he was fucking drunk because to him, none of that shit was true. I bet, do you think he had some alcohol in that big gulp? Oh, 10,000 fucking percent. (laughs) I don't know why it didn't occur to me. And then all of a sudden I have a Jimmy Neutron brain blast where I'm like, oh, he's fucking wasted. Oh, okay. Got it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. I don't have a problem with alcohol at all. And actually, fuck you for asking. That's, <laughs> that is John Wayne Bobbitt. Kenneth, the juror, shot right up to my shit list by saying John Wayne Bobbitt seemed like a very likable kind of guy. These are all just red flag men that would hang out together normally in real life if they knew each other. Yes. This is that group in the corner of the bar that you walk in and you're like, fuck, I'm going to turn around and walk yep, right out. No, 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 no. Exactly. I hate them. Paul, the district attorney, says that John was very deceptive because he looks straight as a ramrod. He is serving attractive poster boy Marine. And lawyer Greg says that John is a nice guy, but he's not a caring or sensitive lover. He never forced Lorena to have sex and Lorena attacked him because she wasn't getting orgasms. Lawyer Greg, the fact that you can say this shit with a straight face means that if there is a hell, you will burn there indefinitely. I would like to say that's the one thing time I think has helped in the sense of looks and how people perceive people in cases based on their looks right. and how forgiving they are of them. Time has aged him to be as ugly as he is. So not yes. many people will be defending him because he's not that clean cut looking dude that you saw that was like kind of a 90s looking dude, like what you like for a kind of older dude. But he doesn't have that anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. He can't serve the Dorian Gray anymore. It's just the painting. You know what I mean? It's creepy. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Lorena does testify in John's trial. Legally, the jurors are instructed that they are only allowed to consider the night in question. If Lorena was raped that night, 
before she cut off John's penis. They were not allowed to consider her actions afterwards or anything related to John's behavior before that night. Hmm. Ridiculous. Damn. The judge actually rules that only incidents within five days of Lorena's assault would be admissible in court. If John can be convicted, it has to be for what he allegedly did on June 23rd, but nothing prior. So the laws in Virginia restrict what Lorena is able to testify about severely. Damn, that's, I would just, I'd be so upset about that. That's mad. Lorena is shocked. She testifies that the Friday before the assault, John had raped her on the floor of the hallway in their apartment. And John told her at this time that forced sex excites him. Mm. Lorena testifies that on Sunday morning, she and John did have consensual sex. And she was asked, why did you decide to have consensual sex with him if he raped you on Friday? And she answers, because I was afraid if I don't, then he will rape me anyway. This is not consensual sex. This is not consent. Yeah, no, they, they're still getting these, these, they're still thinking that there needs to be a physical force used for this. This is like coercion. This is like her understanding that she, in order to stay safe and just keep herself safe, that's what she has to do, unfortunately. like Again, taking words out of my brain, this is coercion and fear. And that's what John gets off on. That's what he enjoys. In a news interview, Lorena says that John had told her, quote, I will follow you no matter where you are, and I can have any kind of sex I want with you. And he was in the army. In the, he was in the Navy. He was in the Marines. The Marines. Oh, yeah. The Marines. Yes. Okay. Yep. That was an armed forces person representing us. Lorena testifies about this violent rape. And Kenneth, permanently now at the top of my shit list, says, quote, when I first had my initial vision of her, she seemed very frail, but I also got this dual conflicting personality thing from her. She wanted to be the victim, but at the same time, she wanted to be a strong woman. She would go from these simple housewife dresses, and then there were other days she would have her hair and makeup done. It was crazy that she would flip-flop back and forth. Oh, watch out, world. Watch out, world. If you're going to try to get your case won, you should stick to a theme and stick with it, because this way everyone's confused. What are you really looking for here? Fuck you, Kenneth. Has that man ever put on makeup that takes time all right not everyone wants to spend 20 minutes to an hour a day putting on makeup sometimes they just want to put on some simple things and go to the grocery store like oh god forbid on like wednesdays thursdays and fridays she took a couple extra minutes for herself to take like a shower and put on something nice oh my god he's like she's wearing a fucking ponytail how dare she wear a fucking ponytail <laughs> what <laughs> she's clearly trying something just again kenneth fuck you with something hard and sandpapery just go somewhere kenneth is just like every stupid dude that i've ever met just like but in one person it really is like classic like well you know i thought this at first but then i decided this other thing because <laughs> i get to do that kevin i'm sorry can you repeat that yeah no so you know she had on a ponytail so you know she was clearly up to something <laughs> Christ. He's like, she smiled one day. So <laughs> only 150 seats in the courtroom are open to the public. So the media is on top of trying to get everything they can for the nightly broadcasts. The doctor that examined Lorena in her SANE exam testifies in John's trial that he saw, quote, no outward physical signs of rape and her mental state didn't match that of a victim. I'm sorry. Did they think that there's supposed to be one uniform way that they say that victims are or should act? Because last I checked, there's like millions of individuals in the world. There is no 
way that this should have been said in court whatsoever. It comes up all the time. Shock impacts everyone differently. Grief impacts everyone differently. Abuse impacts everyone differently. Some people never go on to abuse others. Some people go on to victimize others. It's You can't say something like this. Right. It's like when someone sees something shocking, one person will be shocked and someone will be so shocked that they laugh. Like, right, right. I have had a lot of awkward chuckles on here. <laughs> I think everybody knows I am not laughing or making light of anything that has happened to victims. But sometimes it's just so fucking terrible. Given what we know now about shock and trauma, truly astounding that a doctor could get up there and say this shit. But here we are. Another forensic expert testifies that Lorena's underwear had been cut, not torn. And John's defense latches onto this as well. Then the jurors have a conversation. Well, if someone was raped, what should happen? What would happen? What would they find in this exam? I would go I would go insane if I had to if I had to be a part of this. I would literally just be like, "Yes, I have a strong bias against white men, and if I get in a room and some guy is trying to fucking pull his dick out and piss all over the room and be in charge, that is not happening. That's not happening. I would absolutely be the one who's like, "I don't give a shit what you all have to do." We are looking at every fucking piece of evidence three times until I'm satisfied. Like, no, I don't care. Cancel your kid's softball game. This is important. So they were saying it was cut, not ripped. And I'm sorry, I'm going to just, I'm going to just say, I'm assuming a man probably evaluated those underwear. I'm sure if you gave those to a lady, she'd say if they were ripped or if they were cut. There's not really a way to prove one way or the other either. They are just saying this because this is how they've been able to replicate the tears. I mean, I'm a designer. I've seen I've seen the material they use for underwear. It is very easy to rip. And like the way that the seams are, if when you rip it a certain way, it just it comes off in a straight line or like, you know, you can I can easily right. make strips of things and it's perfectly straight and I don't need scissors. Right. Lawyer Greg says that to show it's rape, you have to show some use of force. And this is such an outdated concept of rape and coercion. And it really shows, unfortunately, still the mindset that some people have today, mm -hmm. but not us, friends. Never us. We're in the good books here, all of us and our friends. In Lorena's news interview about the rape, she talks about saying no and physically trying to push John off of her, but she was not strong enough. In another one of John's news interviews at the time, he says that he slid Lorena's panties off with his foot. No fucking thank you. Just no. If that's for you, I love that for you, but do not ever fucking, oh my God. Oh my, I, it, literally my skin crawled, crawled. Imagine if someone just came up to you Ugh. with like their toes and were just like trying to like reach. No. John also says that he remembers being on top of Lorena, which again conflicts with what he's told the police and testified to. Lorena says that she does remember her underwear being ripped off and they show this picture where it was allegedly cut. To me, it clearly looked ripped. Greg says, well, I hired the former head of forensics from the FBI to review the evidence, and he said that visual microscopic evidence said there was a discrete scissor cut in the crotch of the underwear, and then it was torn. He conducted a bunch of other tests and said he could not duplicate the separation by tearing. Did you try using your foot while someone fought for their life against you? Just curious. Just wondering. Also, I would like to say uh, underwear naturally get holes in it, especially if it's in like I know this might sound weird in the crotch area for like ladies underwear because that's where it was. Because yeah. Because the pH level, people, people's pH level. And like, it's like, remember the, you got a self-regulating system there. It cleans itself out. It's got acids in it. And yep. over time you can get uh, like holes, tiny little holes in your underwear that like turn into rips. Like yeah. I just felt like this is basic anatomy lesson. It's, 
it seems like it should be so straightforward. I don't know. It seems like such a straight line to follow, logically. For some reason, it did start from like a little tear or something or like a hole. Like The jurors, when this comes in, they feel like this casts a lot of doubt on Lorena. And Ricky, the female juror, says she doesn't believe that she would cut her underwear. Like with all of the other details of this abuse... Ricky is like, why would Lorena lie? Thank you. You, you always have to have logical women, okay? You always have to have women, yes. women if you want something logical, okay? You always ask some ladies. Jillian Pensavale from True Crime Obsessed, let the women do the work. Let's just let it let it happen. They've The ladies ask the right questions, okay? And they've experienced it right. enough themselves. Greg tells the jury that the first place Lorena left when she went to the apartment was the nail salon. And what's the most prevalent tool at the nail salon? Scissors. <laughs> what the fuck? Greg, if you don't get the fuck out of here with all of that, your, her workplace is the one space that she has an escape from him that's just for her. You are really out here trying to convince people that she went to the nail salon to fuck with her underwear? Why would you need to go to the nail salon to fuck with her underwear? Everyone has a pair of scissors in their house. Thank you. That makes no sense. Where's the logic here? Juror Kenneth fucking buys it. Hook, line, and sinker. He's like, oh, yeah, this is, she faked the underwear. Definitely faked the underwear. Definitely. Oh, Kenneth. After two days of testimony and four hours of jury deliberation, John is acquitted on November 10th, 1993. Ricky remembers looking around the jury room and realizing that everyone was set on how they believed it should be. And Kenneth said, one of the women sitting next to him in the jury room kept saying, quote, I just know in my heart that he did it. And Kenneth says, well, you can't make a vote from your heart. You have to vote with your head and you have to vote with what's on the table in front of you. Again, the limited information that they're allowed to access is what they have to make this decision from. The shit that's already been heavily restricted. Ladies trust ladies and I trust ladies, okay? All right, you gotta... Just believe survivors and fucking believe victims. It's not hard. Just do that. And then if that gets disproven, deal with that when that happens. But just fucking believe people. Like, that's it. That's really it. Yeah, because she really gets no benefit to telling people this or any like correct doesn't help her any she still did what she did like it won't help her if juror ricky says the biggest sidetrack in the case were the photos the knife where the penis had been thrown the pictures of the apartment the pictures of the bloody mattress and the jury wasn't allowed to discuss anything before or after that night and then everyone just gets hung up on the knife and the severed penis and everything else and ricky feels like they lost sight of what he was on trial for it just got swept up into all the other sensational pieces so john wayne bobbitt is officially legally innocent kenneth says the state did not have any substantial proof that anything occurred that night Mm-hmm. Okay. Kenneth. Kenneth, I really wonder about the women in your life, my friend. Very curious about the women that are around you in your life, if there are any. John Bobbitt and Greg hold a press conference gloating about John's testimony and how everyone knows, quote, John is incapable of telling the truth. Everyone that knows him knows he's incapable of telling the truth. And then Greg realizes like, oh, I fucked that up. (laughs) And I said incapable. And he goes, oh, no, I'm I'm just, I meant he's incapable of telling a lie. And everybody laughs. And he's like, oh, thank God I didn't do that up there, right? (laughs) Well, let's just casually just make a joke of this. Just, oh, my God. 
John says, quote, I'm relieved this is all over and I'm thankful the jury believed me. I just want to get on with my life because I have a lot of healing to do and I want to start my life over again. People on the street get interviewed on the news and they're talking about like, it's really hard to send a guy to jail because he just had sex with his wife. Like, what? It's not a big deal. Or Lorena is crazy for cutting it off. Just P.S. as a rule, let's not call people crazy. It's a rule here on the podcast, and maybe it could be a rule for your life. There's plenty of other ways to describe that someone is a piece of shit or irrational without calling them crazy. A lot of people say, hey, she did what I would have done. And some people say, well, she couldn't prove the case. Obviously, he never did anything to her. Jesus fucking Christ. Getting on the news to just be like, ah, she's a fucking liar. That's why he got off. Fuck her. No, no, no. I've seen people take justice into their own hands before. That This was just clearly a case of like, some she had had enough. She had enough. She was done. Some shit went down. Right. It's not what John is saying. Yeah, no. It's not, hey, I want a divorce. No, no, That's no. not what's we, happening. I feel like she would have taken the divorce better. And like, I don't know. He, this is just a result of continuous abuse. People snap. People are not right. made to be abused forever and to put up with that. This is honestly a logical conclusion to reach. Like, it is not some crazy thing that like... Some people like, oh, you could just leave. Well, she's not, She, I don't think she could leave. It's not like she planned this out or she had like a dick cutting agenda. Like it, that's not what this was. But the media is just ignoring the abuse that Lorena experienced. They just don't want to deal with that part of it. So yeah, she just removed one of the roots of pain that she had been being inflicted with. So to think about this from my former journalist mindset, it's a much more salient story to sell that there was no motivation and she just chopped the dick. That's a much better headline than this woman has been horrifically abused and reached a breaking point. I can understand how this came to be, this type of reporting. Mm -hmm. And most of the people in power at the news stations are white men. So they're not coming from a trauma-informed perspective. They don't know anything about this kind of abuse. Yeah, they love the hysterical woman point of view. They love to make women out to be hysterical and over-emotional. That is why it is such a fucking sticking point to me for people to call other people crazy because it's been levied against me so many times. The second someone finds out that I have bipolar disorder all of a sudden if I ever have a bad day or if something happens and I'm like setting a boundary that they don't agree with instantly would become oh this is because you're fucking crazy you're just having a bad time and that's why that's a rule here on the podcast that we don't call people crazy Carlos Sanchez the journalist we talked about before said that he felt that John's trial was a dress rehearsal for Lorena's trial prosecution is figuring out what works and what doesn't and how things are going to play And Ricky, the juror, says that John's trial was a little playoff game, but Lorena's trial was like the Super Bowl. Makes sense. TV cameras are going to be allowed in Lorena's trial, and people want to see it all. Everyone is fascinated with this case. And as one journalist at the end of the first episode says, there's a lot of anticipation, end quote. Everyone wants to know why she would take a seven-inch knife and cut her husband's penis off. (laughs) Bitch, we know why. We know why. Like, even if you had just told me, like, if I had never heard about this case before and you had not given me any other details, but you just came up to me and said, a wife cut off her husband's penis, I would have, my first things would have been like, what did he do to her for that to happen? Okay. Like, what what abuse did he put her through? Because again, I cannot emphasize enough, ladies do not just go around cutting off penises. All right. Blair Howard is a local attorney and Lorena gets in touch with him. So they meet in person and Lorena tells him, I don't know what to do. We went to court for John and it did not turn out 
like I expected. Everyone thinks I lied. I'm awful. I did this terrible thing to my husband and I don't know where to go from here. I don't know what to do. She's really upset. She can't stop crying and really overwhelmed because she needs help. Blair says this really struck him as well as how young she was. He tells her, you appear to be telling the truth, but the most important thing from a lawyer's standpoint is if we can independently corroborate and confirm the abuse. If there's evidence that this was occurring regularly, then your story becomes more believable. John moves out to Colorado Springs and starts working and living at a ranch, pretty much in hiding. Media want to interview him, but Greg doesn't want him to because Lorena's trial is coming up. John says he and his brother went out to the ranch and everything was great. They got to be around cows and bulls and have this great time, to which I say, you do not deserve to be around any fucking one of those beautiful animals, you piece of shit. I hate you. I hate that you got to pet cows. He also says that a $1,000 bull got away on his watch because it reared up and kicked him, quote, where I got operated. Good. I hope it hurt, bitch. He is interviewed on the ranch eventually by Elizabeth Vargas, and she asks him if horseback riding and bull riding hurts. Again, like- that media thing with the weird questions they like to ask people. Again, can we talk about the genitals, please? That's really why we're here. (laughs) John today says the ranch was a really great time. And he met a girl named Stephanie. She became his girlfriend and they had great sex. Yeah, gotta throw that in there. John. I can still do the sex guys for sure, for sure. John says that he wishes he would have stayed with Stephanie, but he got really sidetracked. Okay. Sidetracked. Well, John hears that there is a local John Wayne Bobbitt lookalike contest at the Hooters in Colorado Springs. Of course, because, you know, every Hooters has one of those. Naturally. Mm -hmm. He tells Greg, I gotta go. He wants to enter and try to win it. I mean, technically, that's not breaking the rules unless they specifically said John Bobbitt cannot enter this contest. Greg says, please don't leave the ranch. And John says, eh, and he goes anyway. (laughs) I think he ended up placing third. That's amazing. I love that. That's justice right there. You doesn't even look like yourself. It's just, oh my God. There's a clip of this Saturday Night Live skit. It has Al Franken as a talk show host. I think the character was named Stuart Smiley, but I don't know for sure. It has Al Franken as the host, Michael Myers as John Bobbitt, and Rosie O'Donnell doing a racist accent as Lorena. Oh my god, must have missed that one. Do you remember the Adam Sandler opera character on Saturday Night Live? Yes. He does a bit where pictures of Lorena and John are displayed while he sings Donde Es Schlongo. What is our world? Like, we lived through this. It was so normalized. Like, it, it's a skit on SNL. I know, but like, think if like aliens were observing us and that's one of the things they saw and they'd be like, this human is singing about another human cutting off another human's genitals. What a, what an interesting species. We're going to lock the doors and just scoot on out of this universe. <laughs> like, <laughs> Just skip them. We're not ready God. yet. Trash David Letterman makes a top 10 list of Lorena Bobbitt excuses. And he actually does a lot of nightly coverage of Lorena on his show. He often calls Lorena his girlfriend. Interesting. 
Interesting. Interesting. Interesting. Lorena doesn't really know how to handle this. It, this is all new to her and still very overwhelming. I think so. And there's a lot of racist news coverage saying penises never get severed here in the States, but you know. Lorena is from Latin America. She's a little spicy. It's not that rare there for dicks to get cut off. Are we using statistics for this or are we just saying this? For fuck's sake, you have to be kidding me right now. Where is this coming from? Are we just making things up right now? So all of this racism abounds in the reporting. Lorena is an angry Ecuadorian. She's a hot-blooded Latina. All of these disgusting stereotypes. Lorena is highly impacted by this. She is living at Jana's and she is severely depressed as she puts it. Even Robin Williams does a stand-up bit about her. Lorena files for divorce. The media frenzy for John is nothing compared to what it was for Lorena when she's going into her trial. The judge, Judge Wisnant, tells the court clerk that he does not want a circus. I do not want cameras in here. Then, Court TV hires a conventionally attractive white female attorney to report on the case. She meets with the judge one-on-one, and all of a sudden, he's open to cameras being in the courtroom. Hmm. Pretty people always get what they want. Yep. John's trial can't be put on TV because it's a sexual crime, but Lorena's case is not considered a sex crime, even though a penis was cut off. This is just the logic. The logic of the 90s just is so far-fetched from the observations of today. Lorena finds out there will be cameras and her friends start asking her if she's ready for that. And she says, no, bitch. How could you be ready for all of that? Alan, the PR guy, gets a call that the trial is set to start on December 23rd. His first reaction is that nobody is going to watch this if it's on at Christmas time and they need to push the trial back to January. He says that Nielsen ratings show that viewership drops because people are traveling and shopping and spending time with their families. So they do get Lorena's trial delayed. And as a bonus, this also gives psychiatrists more time to evaluate her and determine if she met the legal standard for temporary insanity at the time of the crime. Okay, okay, interesting. Howard Stern becomes a figure in all of this, and he hosts a Miss New Year's Rotten Eve pageant on TV. I think it's like a pay-per-view. Probably. And who's there to judge the pageant? Mr. John Wayne Bobbitt announced to a standing fucking ovation. This pageant is actually going to be a telethon fundraiser for John. I never knew Howard Stern did this. Like, I knew he did a lot of terrible things, but this is an extra bad thing. Congratulations, Howard Stern. Howard Stern and John Wayne Bobbitt become hardcore besties for a long time. There is a lot of Howard Stern footage throughout the rest of this. Oh my god, I never knew that. Okay, well, that makes sense. They are both trash men, so that actually makes sense. They would flock together. Trash of a feather flocking together, yes. A telethon for my younger friends is this thing they used to do where they have a live event on TV and people call in to donate money. I don't know if this is really a thing anymore. I guess the most similar thing would be like voting for American Idol, but you're donating money. (laughs) Now that just made me feel so old. (laughs) Right? The last telethon I watched was with Kanye West after the hurricane and he said George Bush does not care about black people on live TV and everyone freaked out and didn't know what to do and he, Kanye West just stood there dead face staring at the camera 
And who was it? Michael Myers? Michael Myers. Michael Myers. Just staring at him awkwardly with his mouth open and like looking back at the camera. Like, I got to mention here that I had to stop this and show Mike, my husband, super hot husband, Mike, super hot. a video of this shit. I will not be able to post it. You're going to have to Google it on your own. There's no way I'm going to post, be able to post it. Instagram, TikTok, nowhere. Okay. okay. They create a penis meter to track the donations. I feel like I don't even have to look that up. I feel like I can see that in my head. <laughs> I'm 5'3". I'd say it's like a little bit smaller than me. Okay. Okay. It is a big veiny fucking thing. Like they went in on painting it and creating it and all of that stuff. They had a budget for this. I would expect that from them. I would expect it. I would be surprised if they didn't do that. So it's on a wheel and every time they get a donation, they raise the penis up and make it erect. Okay. All right. Yep. This is very much sounding like the 90s man shows. Remember that show? Oh, I watched a lot of that show as a young little queer girl and was like, oh, it's just funny. I'm not watching this for the women in bikinis jumping on the trampoline. This is my humor. I don't know. It was a weird time. Adam Carolla and Jimmy Kimmel. It was a very, it was a lot of misogynistic man TV that was super popularized on specific channels. But now looking back on it, I've grown men perpetuating middle school humor and sex things and it was it's weird i think joe rogan hosted the show later too that makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense if he did john ends up getting a hundred and ninety nine hundred thousand dollars raised is that untaxed gift no it's it's taxable okay thank god in today's money this is three hundred and forty two thousand dollars jesus fucking christ that's so i would be i would just be so upset i'm mad i'm mad about that for real that's just Come on. Howard Stern says it was a pleasure raising money for John and his penis. John is trash. John is just getting rewarded for being a piece of shit. That's what's happening. Exactly. Exactly. John starts getting some media attention and he likes the spotlight, as we established before. Yeah. He's doing things like making his own shirts, hitting the bars, Getting taped on the news, having a little meeting with the volunteer firefighter who picked up the penis. Yep. John is realizing he needs to find a way to keep making some money on this thing. And, of course, he is a great guy. And he wants everybody to know that he is a quality five-star man. Hmm. Yep. Top tier man right there. Definitely not bottom of the barrel. John ended up going on tour with Howard Stern. And doing a bunch of live appearances before Lorena's trial. And in the interview done today, he shows this t-shirt that he got. It says, John Wayne Bobbitt severed parts. And then on the back, it says, love hurts. Well, okay. Well, all right. All right. It also has a cartoon of Lorena holding a knife on the front. (sighs) Humans, humans, human. John says he sold a lot of these shirts and he signed a ton of autographs on them for all his adoring fans. I'm sure he did. Boo. Boo, John. His. Yeah. Boo, John. No. So he's just getting to do this media tour and live in the spotlight, love all the attention. And when I walk into bars, people cheer for me. And when I go to concerts, I get moved to the front row. Everybody treats me like a VIP and I'm on the radio everywhere. I have such a great life. And one article runs with the headline, White Trash America Finds a Proud New Hero. Well, you know, that's actually a pretty honest title. I was like, fuck, call it like it is. 
<laughs> That's, I feel like that was like some angry, like a gay person at the newspaper being like, I'm fine. I finally get to say it. He does this live radio event that gets filmed and the DJ says, am I wrong here? Or was your wife a crazy bitch? And everyone in the audience just cracks up. They can just take such a serious situation. Like, I mean, we can like make chuckles. Like, I think when she makes jokes about things, I'll laugh about things like whatever. If she wants to make a joke about it. Okay. Yeah. The fact that they can like make a joke about somebody who was assaulted repeatedly. Someone's not crazy when they snap. It's despicable. It's just reactive abuse. Right. John says in the Today interview, yeah, it's great. People sympathize with me. They can relate to obsessive relationships. Paul Ebert, the DA, is getting ready for Lorena's trial for the charge of malicious wounding. And he's interviewed and asked if he should recuse himself because it is odd that he did John's trial and John got acquitted and now he's going to do Lorena's trial too. That doesn't usually happen. He says, no, I won't unless someone can convince me that I should. (laughs) Oh my God. All right. Classic white man, like so entitled to be like, of course not. I'm above reproach. How dare you even ask me? Please, as if I would do that for you guys. Paul Ebert goes on the Larry King show and says there's no issue with me vigorously prosecuting both of them. It's not John versus Lorena. It's the state versus them as individuals. And if it was a bar fight, both people would be prosecuted. So this is like no big deal. It is. It is because they relate to each other. I. How can you compare this to a bar fight, dude? I can't. I can't. And these people, these are people in positions, important positions of power that help make decisions. Yes. Yes. Lorena's defense is prepping as well. They will be entering a not guilty plea and their defense is hinged on temporary insanity. What the laws in Virginia call irresistible impulse. This means that to illustrate the abuse Lorena had experienced and all of the compounded trauma that impacted her state of mind at the moment that she cut John's penis off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If Lorena is found guilty of her charges, the sentence is 20 years. The prosecutors approach the defense with a plea bargain. Paul Ebert says, hey, we don't have to go to trial. Lorena can just plead guilty, go to jail for four months. She just has to say that the crime was premeditated, Mm -hmm. which it was not. I think the fuck not. You trick ass bitch. <laughs> Lorena gets very upset because if she pleads guilty to a felony, she can never become an American citizen. She decides that she's going forward with the trial. She is willing to risk the 20 years because she so badly wants to be a U.S. citizen. Lorena today says she was not going back to Ecuador. She would feel like a failure if she went back and she just wants to be in the U.S. That's her dream. Lorena had first visited the U.S. in 1986. She went to Washington, D.C., and she loved it. She felt at home immediately. She loved all the flowers and the cherry blossoms. Lorena was born in Ecuador, but when she was young, her family moved to Venezuela. They had a pretty happy family. Lorena describes her family not having enough money for a traditional quinceanera, which is a big party to celebrate turning 15. She tells them, I just want to go to the United States. So, like, if we can do that instead, that works for me. And so that was her sweet 16 trip the following year. Lorena is only 19 when she meets John. John and Lorena get married in 1989. Lorena had family friends in Virginia and a student visa, so she is already in the States legally. She does not speak any English when she arrives, though. And she ends up taking ESL classes and learning English from watching soap operas. 
I mean, that's the way to do it, honestly. She names Days of Our Lives, All My Children, a bunch of different game shows. And she mentions that she especially loved The Price is Right, because who doesn't? I mean, yeah, really. (laughs) Lorena feels strongly she has to make it here in the States. For her, there's no going back. She is chasing the American dream. And even though John is trying to ruin that for her, she's not going to let it happen. In early 1994, Lorena's trial starts. The media is camped out. Everyone is ready to come in with the punny headlines. And people are really eager to watch this trial on TV. Everybody's ready to make a buck. John's selling his t-shirts and a bunch of other people are selling t-shirts. Where's the beef? The cut heard around the world. Penis shirts. No dick towels from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I checked. No dick towel. (laughs) There are even food trucks selling eight-inch sausages. Hmm. I see. I see. It's a mess. Outside the courthouse, there's vendors, spectators, the media, everything. Newsweek does a poll, and it shows around 60% of the United States was paying close attention to the trial. I mean, yeah. Yeah, everywhere. Every news station was playing something about it at some point. Yep. The press is desperate for any details they can pull, and everyone wants the competitive edge and to get a scoop. John gets interviewed on court TV before Lorena's trial, and he says he plans to tell the truth. The journalist says, well, she says you raped her and beat her. And John says, right, but that wasn't true because it came out during my trial. She was lying and she was so inconsistent. The jury didn't believe her at all. That's why I was acquitted. No, that's not why at all. (laughs) You were acquitted because they severely limited what they were able to talk about and judge you on. Like, oh my God, I just... You got acquitted because half of the people in the room probably didn't even believe you could rape your wife at the time. Hi friends, Editing Mary here. This episode is actually going to be our first two-parter. Part two is already up on Patreon for all levels. For everyone here on the main feed, part two will be up next week. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week for the rest of this wild, wild story.